Welcome to another episode of From the Stands to Cool Picks show. On today's episode, we will be talking with Anastasia Busis, a Canadian speed skater who got her start in speed skating at a young age of 20, where she then qualified for the Olympic Games in Vancouver in 2010. So we are going to talk to her about her journey that way, as well as the journey on the personal side of life, where she publicly came out as gay at the 2013 Calgary Pride event and was the first athlete in North America to do so. So we will talk with her about what it was like for her uh, to do that and to compete in sport as well at the same time. And we'll talk with her about the Players on Voice podcast as well and what that journey is and how that podcast is going for her. Before we bring Anastasia onto the show, we would of course like to thank our design team, Matt Creative and Matthew DeCastro for the logos and the work that you see for each and every episode uh, on Instagram and so forth. So without further ado, let's bring Anastasia on and talk about some speed skating and her career. All right, Anastasia, how are you today? I'm great, buddy. It's a bit it's a bit early, so I got my coffee, but uh, it's so nice to see your face and uh, just connect again. Yeah, you as well. Uh, how have things been during this COVID situation? It, I have no no right to complain, but you know, like everyone, it's been uh, heavy. Um, but I think a lot of good will come out of it too, in the sense that I have had space to think and reflect and grow and you know, with Black Lives Matter, you know, just education, listening, connecting with people in different ways. Um, so it's heavy, but I think we're all growing a lot too. And uh, it's it's funny how like quickly working from home has become normal, but I'm, I'm so extroverted, right? That I like kind of, it's, that's tough on me because I love connecting with people. So you're actually doing me a favor right now, um, just seeing your face. But uh, yeah, it's it's been like everyone's, right? Like, what do, what do you say about 2020? It's unprecedented. And I'm saying that rolling my eyes because that seems to be the buzzword, but um, we'll get through it. Yeah, I know. It's definitely, I'm with you. I usually play between uh, baseball with my special Olympics league and another men's league that I play out here in Durham. I usually play about 75 games of baseball a year. Oh. And to go from that to nothing and go to like the golf course with a couple of buddies, it's much, much different. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, working from home is something else. Like I'm saying that like everyone's like, Oh, you get to work from home. That's so lucky. I'm like, no, it's not. After like whatever, six months now, yeah. I'm tired of it. Like, yeah. Oh, I, right. Like, I mean now actually though, I, once we go back to our new normal, you know, um, I wouldn't mind to keep like a Friday work from home. Like I, I don't mind that, but like all day, every day, it's, it's just tough. Like I find like you either are working way more than you used to. Like sometimes I pull like, you know, 30 hours more than what I'm, I'm used to. Um, cause it's just so hard to like unplug from your phone, right? Like I'm watching a movie, movie at nine 30, check my email, setting up interviews, all this. So, um, yeah, I, I don't mind it like one day a week, but all all days is it gets a little bit frustrating what uh what position do you play in the baseball league uh i switch around a little bit so i've played first base i'm like the third string pitcher i play outfield a little bit um in the special olympics league and i either play catcher or third in the men's league so catching is scary i play i play some softball so not baseball, but I miss it too. Again, like I just miss my buds. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. It's a huge social component, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
But um, let's get talking about you and your passion for skating and getting into the Olympics and everything like that. Um, where did the passion for skating and wanting to compete in the sport come from for you? Um, well, it, it, it honestly just started because my, mo- my mom and dad put me into it. Um, I'm from Calgary and we hosted the 88 Olympics and I was born in 89. So they knew that we had like the best facilities ever. Calgary is a city that really celebrates, of course, the Olympics and Olympic sports. So I think it was just really ingrained in the culture. And then I had a very supportive family. So um, I remember watching Oksana Bayul win Olympic golds in 94 in Little and Hammer. And I said, I want to be a figure skater. Like I just thought it was the most beautiful, artistic, athletic thing I'd ever seen for a little five-year-old or four-year-old, excuse me. And uh, my parents were like, honey, like, yeah, figure skating is great, but you're going to be 5'10", 5'11", like you're going to be really tall. So we're going to put you in speed skating, Um, which makes them sound like they were a bit stage parenty, but they weren't at all. They just knew that I probably wasn't going to have the proper body type to be a successful figure skater. So I just learned to skate. I learned to skate on speed skates and uh, I always enjoyed the competition, like, I was always kind of in the mix and, you know, had a little bit, a little bit of success. Like I always was kind of, you know, here's a bronze medal, here's, you know, top five. So it was just enough to keep me going. And honestly, to make a long story short, like I just didn't quit and found myself qualifying for the Olympic games at 20. I was the youngest um, speed skater on the team to qualify for Vancouver. I was, you know, teammates with Clara Hughes, who was 38 at the time, I believe, like I was really a baby. So, uh, yeah, 15 years of just skating around in a circle and going to Red Deer and Edmonton and Saskatoon and having to skate, you know, in minus 50 weather uh, kind of made me an overnight success, I guess, when I qualified for Vancouver. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that success as well, but it's funny because, like, I've always I, – I have a huge passion for ice hockey, but if you've ever seen the movie Goon, I am like Sean William Scott when he first comes out on figure skates where I cannot skate. Like, I can manage on the ice. I can maybe do a lap. But it would take me about five minutes to lap one once. So it, I riddle on skates. So. I'll take you out, bud. I would I would love to go skating with you. No problem. I'll give you a little lesson. It's right. it just takes some reps. We'll get you there. <laughs> All right, perfect. <laughs> uh, well, talking about the success, especially in two thousand seven, uh, you got to compete at the Canada Winter Games, winning a silver in the five hundred meter skating event. What was it like for you to be able to represent at those games and kind of kickstart your career then? Well, I think that's just it. It did kick kickstart my career, and it was honestly the most fun. Um, I think Canada Winter Games was was the most fun competition I did in my entire career. Like honestly, it was just it's such a fantastic stepping stone for athletes in this country. Um, it's either you know it, it very well could be the highest level that you get to, or it could be the level that shows you, oh my God, I want to go to the Olympics or I want to go to the national team. So to be a part of you know Team Alberta. Um, we were in Whitehorse, which again, I said Saskatoon was minus 50. Whitehorse was also minus 50, skating around in a suit that's thinner than a swimsuit. Like it, it was tough, but um, I've just never felt so part of a team and so Canadiana. Like it was just a blast. And we were young, right? Like I think I was 17 and, uh, you know, just doing 17 year old stuff. Like you're just a kid still. And it just felt like such a big league, like amazing experience. I mean, 
when I won the silver, it's um, I lo I lost to uh, Marsha Hudy, who's from Saskatchewan and one of our greatest sprinters of all time. So uh, I'm honored to have lost to her. Uh, she's also a great human being, still on the national team, hoping to go to her third Olympics um, in in 2022. But uh, it was it was a blast. Like it was the first real like wow, you know, moment where I thought, I, I think maybe I have what it takes to get to that next level, to be on the national team, to hopefully go to a world championship, to hopefully go to an Olympics. So it really like, yeah, it, it changed something in my brain. But the most, most I remember is how cold it was and just how much fun we had. Like, it, it, it was a blast. I mean, what, what is one of your biggest accomplishments in sports? Uh, mine would actually be winning the gold medal at the national games for um, Special Olympics in Nova Scotia in 2018. And as well, we were the first team um, that is in Special Olympics history. As No one's fixed me or quoted me on that yet, or corrected me on that rather. Um, but we looked into it and we were the first team that went undefeated at a national tournament. We went 7-0. Um and we just like um yeah that the competition was unreal like our run differential was something like 132 runs like it was incredible. yeah so like i mean there, there's no better feeling right like you remember the competition you had so much fun like that's how i remember canada games like just walking on clouds definitely it's all about the memories who you get to meet those yeah. experiences along the way like winning medals are cool but like the build up to them is just as exciting yeah yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's cool. Congrats, bud. Thank you. Um, now, talking about, um, like, the mental game, the physical game, and trying to balance everything in between, in 2009, you were studying communications in culture at the University of Calgary, while at the same time earning the chance to represent Canada um, in speed skating at the Winter Unicide. What was that feeling like mentally for you, going through school while trying to further your career in skating? Um yeah, I mean, a lot of people are, I mean, this is kind of case by case, and a lot of people find that they need to just have one sole focus to succeed. Um, so my best friend is like that, like she, she, she refuses to go to school, refuses is the wrong word, she just knows herself best that she it will get the best out of herself in her skating career if she, she doesn't have school on the side. And I'm the exact opposite. Um, because again, I, I am so competitive that um, I would get in my head, like I would just stir. If I had a bad practice, if I had a bad race, oh, what did I do wrong? Da, 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 da. I couldn't turn this off. Um, and I would just kind of spiral, I don't want to say out of control, but certainly spiral into a, a, a dark cloud with overthinking and overanalyzing and, you know, analysis by paralysis, like, or paralysis by analysis, I got that wrong. Um, I really struggled with that. So going to school on the side really helped me just kind of disconnect from skating. And it also allowed me to have a little bit larger of a perspective, like, okay, if I'm learning about ancient Egypt or Mesopotamia and, you know, uh, anthropology, okay, let's study some Australopithecus, blah, 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 like uh, evolution. It really just reframed that what I was doing on the ice was of value, but it wasn't absolutely everything like there is a large universe out there that's connected and yeah okay if I have one bad competition or one bad race or even one bad practice where I skated a lap one tenth of a second too slow it's not the end of the world 
So it really helped me balance out and it was really healthy for my mind. And um, again, just a bit more perspective, but that's case by case. I know a lot of athletes, again, as I said, like my best friend, they don't, they don't really want that perspective or they, they, it's not that they don't want the perspective. They just know that they'll get the best out of themselves if they have one clear focus and that's speed skating. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's case by case. But for me, I was happy when I did retire, like, I had maybe two classes to go and then I had a degree and, you know, I was right out the gates ready for real life. So it's, it's all everyone's, you know, uh, whatever works for you. But for me, I, I needed school to balance me out. And that's the thing too, is uh, you never know, like to your point, like, yeah, you can have that mindset, but then it's like, what happens after? Like what happens if you have to end your career early? What happens if, something happens where you you keep losing and you're like okay I'm, I'm done then then what right then you like you can go back to school at any age but for sure but it's always had like the mindset and that helpfulness where if you have that kind of distraction kind of sort of where yeah. it's like okay I had a bad race I can focus on this to get my mind off of it and then go back and analyze yeah um, what happened then you have that, like, I'm going to use the Toronto Raptors as an example. Last night, game seven, there was a lot of mistakes that happened, but now they're going to go back, they're going to analyze, uh, especially being in the bubble. The, the reason I bring them up is they haven't been able to see their families for the last uh, few months, so now they'll be able to go home, get that distraction of hanging out with their families and spending family time, and then go back and look and say, okay, what did we do wrong? What can we improve on for next year, right? It's the same yeah. idea of having that proper distraction. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Now, talking about the Olympic Winter Games, uh, you mentioned it earlier, at the age of just 20 years old, I mean, at 20 years old, I was still going through school, uh, but I was, I don't even know what I was doing at 20. I was hanging out with a buddy. I, I don't even really remember what I was doing, to be honest. <laughs> but, but you qualified for the Olympic Winter Games, uh, followed by three consecu consecutive appearances at the ISU World Single Distances. How excited were you to be able to represent Canada at the Olympics? It was a dream come true. I mean, um, and it's hard to not give you a cliched answer, right? Like everything that you've heard athletes say, it's, it's the truth. Like you just don't necessarily, like you dream and you dream and you dream, but there's always a little bit of that doubt. Like, can I actually do this? And if people say that there was no doubt, I never really believe them because we're all human and we're all vulnerable and we all have insecurities. So to get there and to get to Vancouver, of course, being a Canadian athlete on a very successful Canadian team in a home Olympics in Canada, like that is absolutely the pinnacle of, of dreams. And to have, you know, Claire Hughes, again, friend and teammate, um, carry the flag and march behind her and hear that dull roar of 70,000 people in GM place in Vancouver and to know, uh, you know, hindsight's 2020, to know how that Olympic Games unfolded for Team Canada and it ended with Sidney Crosby's golden goal like we were treated like rock stars like honest to god it was like overnight if someone found out that you were a Canadian athlete and you were walking down Robson you were treated like a celebrity it was the craziest thing of all time um so there was a little bit of um there was a little bit of like imposter syndrome because again I only competed for one day you know i i raced the 500 meter which is two races in one day and then i had two weeks of just being like a super fan and super team you know super teammates so i'd go and skate and help my teammates and, and warm up and then i would go watch other sports i'd go to parties 
you know, there'd be celebrities. I, I um, you know, watched uh, the uh, semifinal with um, Canada, Slovakia, I want to say. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, is that? I think it was. Like, I, I'm embarrassed that I can't even remember. But I, I think it was a semi. And I went to the game in a limo with Kaylee Humphreys and Heather Moyes right after they had just won. And it was like we were the Beatles. Like this limo was just going down Robson and it, like the police were escorting us and people were banging on the glass. We get to this like, you know, VIP booth. I look to my left, there's Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. I look to my right, Vince Vaughn, Michael J. Fox, Bonnie Blair from the Bay. Like, like I was just like, how is this my life? Like, it's insane. Um, but on a flip side too, and I don't mean to get too heavy. Like I, I did, um, I did have a little bit of an existential crisis in the sense that on one hand we were treated like rock stars. And on another hand, going back to that imposter syndrome, I, I did kind of feel like a fraud. And, you know, cause I, I knew I was like, I'm just a kid. I'm not going to win. I'm not famous. I'm not going to win a medal. And I've been looking up to, you know, people like Katrina Maydon who make the Olympics. And that's what I've seen as Olympians. These people that are larger than life that have no mistakes and have no skeletons in their closet. And that wasn't me. Like I was just a kid. I was a, you know, I was just a naive little kid that had probably 25 pounds to gain. Like I was skinny. I was a runt, like blah, 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 blah. All of these reasons. It was, it was weird to be at the Olympics. Like I felt like I was kind of out of body experience. And um, in and around that time was when I started to realize too, that I, I really had neglected a part of myself and my identity in my life. And, um, you know, I, 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 honestly accepted that uh, I was gay and that I had not accepted that for, you know, 20 years. Like I was, I was just so focused, laser focused on speed skating that when finally I reached this goal, this lifelong goal, oh my God, all my dreams come true. And the dream didn't necessarily look the way I thought it would, or I didn't feel the way I thought it would. Um, it had opened up space inside of myself to have some very real and hard conversations. And so there was a lot going on in my head and my heart and Vancouver was a blast, but uh, it was heavy in some respects too, because again, I was having conversations with myself that I had never had, you know, my entire life. Yeah. Now talking about that personal side of your life uh, outside of sports, um, like you said, in, like you had that battle kind of at the Olympics, but in 2013, you publicly came out as gay at the 2013 Calgary Pride event. At that time, you were the only athlete from North America to do so. How important was it for you to come out and represent the LGBTQ community while also competing in sport at the same time? I. It was really important. I mean, and, and sometimes people have, you know, attributed words like, oh, you were so courageous or, you know, brave, like words that describe these valiant acts. And uh, it's, it's always an honor to hear that. And I'm humbled to hear that. But I wasn't, I, I never thought that I was being courageous because I was just doing the right thing. Like for me, it was the right thing to come out. Um, and I'll go back, you know, in 2010 that's when i really accepted it and the the embarrassing shameful answer is that i really didn't want to be gay um i really really struggled with it um you know i felt like a fraud i essentially promised myself that i would never come out that no one could ever know this about me that if i just found the right guy i could you know i could live straight 
Um, I had a, a ton of internalized homophobia. And that was incredibly exhausting. It was painful. I hated myself. Um, and that anxiety uh, that I felt in my personal life really crept up into my, my results on the ice. I didn't have fun speed skating for a number of years. Um, that anxiety started to, to creep up into clinical depression. And so I've had some very dark times in my life. Um, and it felt really crappy to be, you know, I, I just felt more than even just being depressed. I felt crappy that I was allowing myself to feel this way because I could look at my life very logically and go, okay, Anastasia, you're making money. You're sponsored by a bunch of cool sponsors, Lululemon, a bunch of banks, you know, you're getting to see the world. Your school is paid for. You have friends all over the world. Like what do you have? You, you don't have the right to feel the way you do. And so I was judging my feelings too, you know, like instead of just going, I think I have a problem. Like I was getting angry at myself for having a problem with, with my lack of self-love. So, um, you know, 2010 to 2013, certainly in 2013, I was still really struggling. But at that point, you know, I had come out to my parents, I come out to a few family members and my, my coach and a few teammates. And I just thought, okay, the way I'm living is completely eroding who I am. It's a completely eroding my love for my sport. And it was a bumpy road to Sochi because of my mental health issues. Um, I could barely get out of bed. You know, I was very much thinking of, of taking my own life. So it's not a, it's not a happy go lucky story, but it finally got to the point where I went, okay, something's got to give, you know, Yes, I love speed skating, but I'm more than a speed skater. And if we are truly valuing sport for what it can do and changing lives, um, more than just medals and trophies, I got to do this. Like it was the right decision for me. I, I had to publicly come out because I've said this once, like I'm from Canada, you know, you're from Canada. We celebrate this country as being accepting and, you know, really uh, celebrating diversity. And I'm going to a country, Russia, who is linking LGBTQ, um, you know, people with pedophilia. And, and I was just thinking, if I am struggling this much in Canada, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a kid in Russia growing up gay. So I need to do something. It was the right thing for me to do. Um, and I'm, it's, it's always weird to say you're proud of something you've done because it feels like egotistical or self-absorbed, but I am proud of that. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was the only one to do so from North America. So the media response was quite overwhelming, to be honest. But um, it, I, I believe I stood on the right side of history. And, and um, you know, it, it was the biggest thing that I have ever done in my speed skating career. And it has nothing to do with how I skated. So that's that story. <laughs> no, and, and it's so powerful, too, because it's all about, again, like you said, stepping up for what you believe in. Um, setting examples as well, like you have a younger generation beneath you that may be struggling to come out and then they see someone like yourself that comes out on, on a national level and, and, and has that media coverage and that platform to be able to use for the better good because as we know, with the media, it can change from night and day with how something is perceived, how something is looked upon, things like that, um, especially now, but more so back then as well. And so having that younger generation have individuals like you that set that example and say, it's okay to come out, believe in what yourself, do what you need to do, 
and you'll have that support with you regardless is very important, um, especially, like I said, to those younger generations that, that need to know how to start, where to go, things like that. Thank you. Now, talking about also to your mental health as well, obviously mental health is a huge component of anything in life, whether it's personal life, uh, sporting life, things like that. I know for me, like many others, it's important to have discussions surrounding mental health and the importance of having proper support. How did you get through challenges and like, how was your support throughout? Um, obviously, like you touched a little bit about it when you went, came out gay to your parents and to your friends and things like that. But what was the mental support like for you as well uh, during those times? Well, it was, it, in some respects, it was tough in the sense that as athletes, and I'm sure you've felt similar ways, it's very difficult for us to be vulnerable. Um, you know, it's harder, bigger, faster, stronger. You never quit when you're going through adversity. You just keep your head down and you figure it out. Um, you just don't want to show any weakness. And, uh, you know, certainly when I was starting to become aware of my own mental health issues, because for a long time, I didn't actually realize how bad they were. Um, and depression is very much, I, I make this metaphor. It's like, if you're slowly just, you know, digging, a, digging a hole and you stop digging and you look up and you realize, oh my God, like I, I'm in a trench and I can't get out. Like I, I, I need help to get out of here. So it's not overnight. It's not like you just wake up depressed one day. It's, it's a systemic like series of just you digging this hole and you're not actually realizing how deep you're digging until you stop digging and you look up. So that's really how I felt. Um, and that's why it took so long for me to go, I think I, you know, I think I might have an issue. Um, and I really kind of started to realize that I had, you know, an issue specifically with depression because I think athletes are susceptible to anxiety in a lot of time, like in a lot of situations. And I think that we almost, you know, make it, um, we rationalize it in our brains because you have to be in some respects, a little stressed to get to your best, right? Like it's gotta be do or die. Like the stakes are huge. This is what we love to do. And you want to get up to this level of energy to perform at your best. And so I kind of was rationalizing the anxiety, which was silly too, but the depression, you know, it, it, that was a tough one. And, and that was when I was like, no, something's wrong here. Cause I would look into my future and see just bleakness. Like I didn't care about skating. I didn't care about anything that I know that I care about or love, you know, like it was just like absolute malaise. And so when I finally was like, I think I might, you know, be depressed. I remember having that conversation with my sports psych and I, I physically felt like I was going to throw up. Like it, that's how vulnerable it felt like to admit that I had an issue or that I thought I might have an issue. And, um, you know, hindsight 2020, I probably could have gotten that diagnosis a year and a half prior to when I, I actually became kind of aware of it because, um, yeah, it was, it was a long time that I was kind of blue and, I don't resent anyone, um, you know, not really picking up on the signs or symptoms um, because it's difficult. I think it's difficult even for people that are eroding the stigma of mental health. Like it's, it's tough to sometimes start a conversation and that's something that we all need to, to pledge to do better at. Just start the conversation. Um, we wait around and I'm, I'm quoting Sheldon Kennedy right now, but we wait around to have all the perfect factors you know we wait around to have this conversation when it's perfect to do so and that just doesn't exist right like life is life is messy so if it doesn't feel like the perfect time 
you know, unless it's really a bad time, like disregard that and have a conversation about mental health. Um, and, and secondly, like, you know, hindsight again being 2020, I've been retired for three years now. Uh, I wish that I was equipped with some better tools to have those vulnerable conversations. And I, I think that's where we can make a big change in, um, in the sporting realm is to just allow athletes to kind of be a bit more vulnerable and to recognize that what's happening in your personal life is directly affecting your play on the field. Like, it, I just can't believe that it doesn't. Like, you know, we are more than just athletes, we're humans first. And so I wish if I lived in a perfect world and I could redo it again, which I can't and I don't regret it, I just wish that I had a few more tools to say I need help sooner. I don't know if I answered your question, did I? You I mean, my, my, my parents were amazing, but yeah. it was like the onus was on myself, really. You know, of course, per, this person could have noticed a little bit more. This co conversation could have happened sooner. But I was not equipped to go, I am really struggling here. And, you know, it, it's tough for athletes because, again, you don't, you don't want to open up and, and say you have a problem. If definitely. And, and to, to just reiterate, you did answer my question for sure. Um, but, no, I, I get you because also, too, like you look at me with Special Olympics and kind of the, I want to say, category of athlete that a lot of people put are like athletes with an intellectual disability in. Um, I, I've struggled with it as well, where you, I actually, uh, I worked at a retail store, um, that supported special Olympics and I had a gentleman, I remember this, like it happened yesterday. Still, I had a gentleman come in when I said like, Hey, would you like to donate a tuny to, to help special Olympic athletes? And as much as I don't like to use the word, I'm going to use it just for this. Uh, he said, why would I want to help those retards out? And so the, I went off on him a little bit, obviously professionally, because I was at work. But it, it's, again, that stigma and that, that communication piece where you see so many different athletes from different ability levels and things like that, where you, you struggle to try and make your voice heard and share your story with others to kind of make them aware of like where your backstory comes from, where your struggles come from, things like that. Um, and I've been very, very fortunate where I'm now working with the Special Olympics organization and I've been able to help lead other athletes to success and kind of make them leaders in their community. However, it's still a huge stigma where it's like, okay, now we have to kind of use our voices, use our platforms, <coughs> excuse me, um, and to be able to share those stories so that um, eventually, hopefully, um, a lot of people understand where special Olympic athletes, let alone athletes that may circle with mental health come from and where their um, support can, can really go and can kind of use towards, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, it, it absolutely does. And I'm, my eyes are watering. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And I would just say like, Ryan, you sharing that story and you using your voice is making this world a better place. So please don't stop sharing that story because um again like i think in so many realms like people people think that they're doing enough or silence you know silence is equated to acceptance and it's not like silence just furthers these stigmas so just keep doing what you're doing and i i appreciate this podcast because you're you're helping uh erode everything you know like so many people are just ignorant so thank you
No, and thank you. I appreciate the kind words. And we're going to talk about a podcast that you do in a minute as well. Um, but I just want to chat about kind of the end of your career with speed skating. And, and in 2017, um, as you said, three years ago, you announced your retirement from speed skating, um, which ended up coming from suffering a knee injury. What were your thoughts around surround, or like announcing your retirement and knowing that you really put it all out on the ice? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, my knee is still still useless. I try and go for jogs, and I, I literally can make it, like, 200 meters without it just blowing up. So uh, that's that's been frustrating in the sense that I can't really be that active anymore, um, and that's not very good for my mental health either. So I'm uh, actively trying to figure it out, MRIs and hopefully a few scopes and X, Y, Z, just ticking all the boxes to get that uh, just to a place where I can at least go for a jog or play soccer. You know, I don't have to be a superstar athlete anymore, but uh, that was frustrating. And um, it was frustrating in the sense that, I mean, yeah, I retired in 2017 and the knee issue started right after Sochi. Um, I came home in March. My little cousins wanted to go skating with me. Um, I put on some jeans uh put on my skates we went to the oval and i felt this pop and it didn't hurt it just and the knee just got really nice and warm and i went what the hell just happened there but it didn't hurt at all like and i you know i'm i'm not a kines major like i don't know you know what i i know a few ligaments but had no clue um but because it didn't hurt I didn't really think much of it and then i couldn't go up and down the stairs normally for about six months after and so after about two, two months of that, I was like, okay, something's, something's up with this knee. And uh, we've gone through every single test, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, it's not good. Blah, blah, blah. I'm always in pain. Um, so that was a tough one. Uh, I skated, you know, the last two years of, of my career uh, in significant pain. And um, I felt as though I had done so much work on my mental health side after Sochi and I was so proud as to where I went like I took a year off and I said guys like I need to represent Canada to my to the best of my ability and to do that I need to work on myself and I'm going to you know I'm using my agency and saying actually putting like pressing pause on my career right now going to talk to sports psychs going to talk to a psych just you know doing a little bit more school I moved to Montreal all of these things just to give me a little bit of a reset um and it was a tremendous recess reset i was really happy i came back i skated quite quickly uh in my comeback year everything was going going really well aside from the knee so it was tough to admit again it's tough for athletes to admit when when they feel like they've been defeated in some respect but it just got to the point where i was in pain every single day every single stride and um you know it was a hard decision pulling the plug back quickly or that closely to um to Pyeongchang but um I also had to kind of believe that I was more than just my speed skating results and that I had more to offer than just limping to the line just because an Olympics was coming up um and and to be honest like the way I was skating I was not going to qualify for those games I was I was in so much pain that uh, the writing was on the wall it was tough to read the writing of course because it was my identity and it was my love you know love of my life but um, it all worked out. It all worked out because I actually ended up going to Pyeongchang, of course, on the media side. But uh, yeah, injuries are injuries are so tough. Like they're, you know, 
to find an athlete that got to go out on their own terms is incredibly rare, incredibly rare. And you never really think that it's going to happen to you, especially when you're, you know, 10 years ago, I was the baby. I was the 20 year old in Vancouver and my, my future was very bright, but, uh, you know, as 27 year old, always in pain, going up and down stairs, sitting down on a toilet. Like, like I was always in pain and it just got to the point where, you know, I, I had bigger and bright, brighter things to try and conquer. And I was, I was happy that I did it at that time, to be honest. Well, I don't know if you, do you play golf at all? I do. I do. And I, I very much enjoy golf. Um, I wish that I could like be a little bit more consistent with it, with my playing, because when I hit it, I won't lie. Like when I hit it, I'm like, I think I could have a little bit of a future in this game. Not Brooke Henderson, but uh, I just don't play enough. And I also enjoy like two or three beers by the fifth hole. So I, I enjoy drinking while golfing and uh, that probably hinders my game a little bit too, but I'm fun. I'm fun. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. We'll get out to the golf course before the end of the year. We'll go for a quick round. Uh, you said yeah. you'll bring me out skating. I'll bring you a golfing ball. You know, we'll we'll share some times together doing that. So perfect. I'm down. Now, um, as most athletes, as you said, uh, it's really hard to step away from the game. But and you, you didn't really step away from the game or from speed skating uh, because in 2018 uh, you ended up becoming an analyst for the sport. Uh, how is it for you now to be an analyst and be able to share your memories and experiences? I love it. I love it. And, and that's what, you know, that's what I went to school for. And um, I, I just love sport, right? Like it, it is such a huge part of my life. It will always be such a huge part of my life. Um, I have other interests. I'm, I'm a drama nerd. I'm into film. I love writing. I, I, I love storytelling. Um, and at the heart of that, you know, is sports. And so, um, I think that has really been uh, the, you know, the basis of Players Own Voice, the podcast that I host. And uh, I just love connecting with athletes, very human first, athlete second, um, because I think that that's how I see my career. Or, you know, with hindsight, I see my career. It was really the humanity in, in myself that allowed me to achieve, you know, things at this level and it also was the humanity that that showed me some of my darkest times and it's those stories that I think have the most power you know it's again it's great to win medals it's it's great to have a run differential of a hundred and however many runs you said 35 or whatever but um it's really the the human behind the athlete and I'm I'm living my dream like honestly I love sports and I love athletes. And so I hope that I can continue to do that. And I hope I can continue to host things in, um, you know, the Olympics and, and speed skating and, and just all walks of life. And yeah, talking about hosting things, let's talk about that podcast. Um, so Players on uh, Voice podcast that runs on CBC Sports. How did that podcast start? Where What was it like for you to be able to talk to your fellow athletes continuously and like, um, what's like kind of the just messaging behind that? Well, it all, it honestly all started after 2018. Um, I'm was good. I was, I am good friends with uh, a few of the women's hockey players and, um, you know, we connected right after, right after Pyeongchang and I had some audio recording and I had a really candid, vulnerable conversation with them about, you know, of course, losing the gold medal to the United States in the shootout. And uh, it was very, very, very candid. 
Um, it's, it wasn't necessarily something that you would hear from the media. And uh, I brought it to, to my bosses and, you know, said, what do you think about this? I think that there's something here. I think that athletes have stories that they want to tell that aren't necessarily presented in a bow. And uh, I was very lucky that they, they took a chance on it. And it kind of just started from there. Um, and I, I have been so lucky to, you know, have been given this gift in the sense that I thought that I could help tell their stories. And, and now, like, what I get out of it is so much more than what I give them, right? Because it reminds me of just the power of connection and the power of sports. And I think it makes me a better person. I think it makes me a better journalist. Um, just diving into these stories very, again, I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, human first, athlete second. And um, it's been a blast. I mean, it's just for fun, right? Like, it's, let's, let's have some fun with it. But with that being said, too, I, I think we've really tackled some important conversations. You know, we've, we've talked about trans rights in, in sports, which is still very much untapped. And, and there's a lot of ignorance in and around that. And to help, you know, trans athletes tell their, their stories, I think, I think that that is going to be one of our next big chapters in the sporting history landscape, you know, um, who we allow, who we allow to play sports. Like that's, that's essentially that question. Um, we've talked about race. We've talked about LGBTQ issues. Uh, we've, we've talked to Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer and, you know, all, all of these like iconic Canadians have, have a story to tell that isn't always told with the media. And I'm just, I just feel very grateful that I can tell it. They're, they're also a bunch of my friends, so they're pretty relaxed. <laughs> That's good. It always helps to have that connection as well. Yeah. Uh, it's like, obviously, with this podcast, I uh, started it at the start of COVID, and I, I kind of had that mindset of, like, I wanted to chat with pro athletes, I wanted to chat with sport reporters, um, and the occasional musician at the start, but then I realized musicians are a lot harder to get a hold of than I thought so then it just became a sports podcast yeah. or so um but I've had names like Dan Shulman and, and Ken Reed and Damon Allen and, and Chuck Swirsky and yourself and it's, it's really cool to kind of see a small project kind of turn into something that you want it to be and especially and that happens with the players own uh voice podcast where they're able to share their stories that again we've talked about how the media can kind of say like hey we want it to go right but the viewership wants it to go left right and and you don't know kind of how that perception is going to be received so it's it's great that you're doing that because uh those stories are definitely worth hearing for sure thank you thanks yeah and uh i love that you want it to go right and viewership wants to go left so that's that's a great way to put it i appreciate it now uh, my last question for you is if we have any young viewers watching that want to get into speed skating or just kind of skating in general, get to the Olympics or get to even just the, the next local regional competition, what kind of words of wisdom or advice would you want to share with those younger athletes? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question too. I actually don't know if I've been like specifically asked that about speed skating. Um, I think a lot of people think of it as a fringe sport and to be honest, like, it's everywhere. Um, so if you don't think that you have a speed skating club close to you, I mean, unless you're living in Timbuktu, you're wrong. Um, and there might even be one there. So uh, just, just look it up, you know, google.com and, and uh, speed skating clubs near me. Um, there's a ton in the GTA. Unfortunately, there's no long track, but short track, of course, 
it, you know, you just skate on a hockey rink. So it's, it's really easy to find um, it's accessible. It's a sport that is quite um, socioeconomically accessible. It's not a ton of money, um, especially if you're just starting. So give it a try. And I, I, I mean, I would say that, of course, to anyone that just wants to learn how to skate or is interested in speed skating, but even to hockey players, even to figure skaters, I mean, I'm not going to say that taking a speed skating lesson is going to give you the nicest mitts on the on the ice. I, I'm not going to say it's going to turn you into Sidney Crosby or, um, you know, Patrick Chan. It won't teach you how to do a triple axel, but I can say that it will help you become the fastest skater uh, on the ice. And so even if you're in love with figure skating or or hockey or ringette or any other ice sport, Speed skating is going to help you. Uh, it's never going to hinder you. It's going to make you stronger and more efficient and faster, um, which leads to more power and, and you know, more puck possession. So, um, you know, I, and I'll, I'll tell a quick story from Sochi. It was, you know, Mike Babcock, of course, was the uh, coach for Team Canada in Sochi. And um, he brought all, all of the, the boys, you know, all the boys to watch speed skating because he was like, you can just learn so much from watching people skate and you guys do it better than anyone. So, um, you know, there is tremendous value. I, I, I never want to take a kid from hockey or, or figure skating or ringette or whatever other ice sport that they play, but speed skating is there to help you. And being the fastest is never a bad thing. Um, it'll just, it'll just make you stronger and, and, and more competent in whatever you want to do with that skill. But, uh, if you do want to go into speed skating, it is very accessible. It's not expensive. Great people, great family, great community. And uh, hit me up on social media if you do have questions because I'm happy to uh, answer them. That's, that's my pitch. That's my very long elevator pitch to anyone listening. Hey, it's okay. The elevator broke down. We got some time. It's all yeah, good. yeah, we're stuck. We're stuck between uh, eighth and ninth floor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Anastasia, thank you so much for taking time, sharing your stories, your experiences, um, and so much more. And uh, as you said, if anyone has further questions about wanting to get into skating, hit her up. What's your uh, Twitter handle or Instagram? Anastasia, A-N-A-S-T-A-S-U-R-E. And I made it, I made it about 10 years ago. So we're just going with it. You know what I'm saying? Love it. It's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking time and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Uh, oh, buddy. It's so nice to see your uh, face. And yeah, I mean, COVID is of course kept us apart, but um, hopefully we, we cross paths really soon and Again, I just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing, and I'm uh, I'm honored to be to be from uh, on from the stands. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right, bye. Thanks. All right, everyone. That was Anastasia Busis, uh, Olympic skater. Thank you again to Anastasia for joining me today, and to everyone for tuning in. And make sure to tune in next week for another episode of From the Stands. Take care.